Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Psalm 66. Psalm 66 is the first of three consecutive psalms that speak of the whole earth, or all the nations, praising the Lord and bringing him tribute. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Now, one of the translation issues that we face in this psalm is whether to understand these verbs in an imperative sense or in a future sense. So the CSB, for example, translates verse 4, the whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. J. Alec Machir also translates it in a future sense. He has it, all the earth will bow in worship to you and make music to you. They will make music to your name. Kidner says usefully here, the tenses allow a present sense, but prefer a future one, as in several translations that he lists. The future also does more justice to the facts. It is a promise which is yet to materialize. I think that's helpful. Verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Notice the invitation. It isn't to contemplate God abstractly or esoterically. It is to consider God in terms of his redeeming works. Look at what follows, verse 6. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. The invitation is to consider the Exodus, the great Old Testament work of redemption. To transpose the psalm into a New Testament key, we would say, come and see. Come and consider the work of the cross. See Jesus bearing our sins. See God being just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. This is an invitation to understand God through his work of redemption. God is known climactically and most clearly through the things he has done to save and redeem his people. Come and see these things. Come and consider. Draw near that you might be drawn in. That is the invitation in the text. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet... 
you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Here, the psalmist invites the nations to consider God's dealings with Israel. Israel is God's storyboard to the nations. He is telling a story about who he is and who we are as people and and how God works to save us, ultimately through the person and work of Christ. Israel's story, the narrative of their wrestling with God, culminating in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is the self-disclosure of God to the watching world. The psalmist sees and responds, and he also invites others to see and respond. Verse 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Here, the psalmist is opening up his own experience as instruction for the nations. He says that he has learned that God must be approached in honesty and contrition. You don't have to be perfect, he says, but you do have to have a humble, reverent, and honest heart. Heart. That is similar to the sentiment expressed in Psalm 51, 17. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If you're going to come, the psalmist says, come humbly, come honestly, come penitentially. If you come like that, my God will hear you. Verse 20, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. The Lord is good. He has heard me, and he has received me in covenant love. Thanks be to God. The RMM plan has us reading two psalms today. So here again the word of the Lord, beginning with the ascription and then following through to verse 1 of chapter 67. To the choir master... With stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. I just want to pause there and emphasize the word that. Hear those two verses again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that, J. Alec Matier actually has it, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Matier goes on to say, the sequence of thought here reflects the Abrahamic blessing. The blessed people become a channel of blessings to the world. The psalmist is asking for God to bless and gift and empower his people so that... The knowledge of the Lord would spread and cover the earth as waters cover the sea. That's a very good prayer for us to pray today. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Again, the Hebrew could equally be translated, as it is by some scholars, the peoples will praise you, O God. The peoples, all of them, will praise you. Nations will be glad and sing for joy. You will judge the peoples and guide the nations. It's difficult to say whether this is prophecy or prayer or both. The verbs could go either way, so I incline towards understanding them as both. I, I, I think the psalmist is seeing it and praying into it. That's good theology, and that's good practice, and we should imitate it. If God says something is going to happen, then you should pray into it. We do that all the time. We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's just praying for something God has said will happen. God has said his kingdom will come. The Bible says that a day will come when all people will do God's will perfectly on the earth, just like the angels are doing now in heaven. We pray for that because God has promised that. He ordains the ends and he ordains the means. Prayer is an ordained means. So let's see it and let's pray into it like the psalmist. Verse six, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Again, not to beat a dead horse here, but these verbs can be understood in the past tense or as what are called perfects of certainty, meaning that they could refer, refer to future events that are certain because God has foretold them or willed to do them. The psalmist could be saying, God has blessed us and given us a good earth. True. Therefore, God can be counted on to bless us in the future. True. Or he could be saying that in the future, when God has brought in the nations and when God has ushered in his kingdom, the earth will yield its increase. The earth will be fruitful like it hasn't been since we left the Garden of Eden after the fall. God will bless us. Both are grammatically possible. And both are true. So take your pick or enjoy them both. Verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I am intrigued by what John Calvin says about this verse. He says, Every benefit which God bestowed upon his ancient people was, as it were, a light held out before the eyes of the world to attract the attention of the nations to him. From this, the psalmist argues that should God liberally supply the wants of his people, the consequence would be to increase the fear of his name, since all ends of the earth would, by what they saw of his fatherly regard to his own, submit themselves with greater cheerfulness to his government. Closed quote. Now, there is a world of difference between John Calvin and today's prosperity preachers. John Calvin understood that suffering, storm, and tribulation were to be expected as par for the course. Just a few days ago when we were looking at Psalm 57, we heard Calvin say, There are seasons when we are privileged to enjoy the calm sunshine of prosperity. But there is not a day of our lives in which we may not suddenly be overtaken by storms of affliction. And it is necessary we should be persuaded that God will cover us with his 
wings, closed quote. See, that's the difference between Calvin and the prosperity preachers, the understanding that affliction is part of the ordinary journey and expectation of the Christian. But so, also, very often, is prosperity. And that is what I worry we have lost in overreacting to the excesses of the prosperity preacher. We evangelicals are marvelous overreactors. If, if an idea or a practice is abused, we will abandon it entirely. And we are in danger of doing that again here. The psalmist is saying that God will often, generally, though not without exception, bless his covenant people so as to draw other nations to himself. That's what the Bible says. And that's what John Calvin said. Before we were engaged in theological overreaction to the obvious distortions of the prosperity gospel. Now, listen, we all know this is true. Is there any country in the world, a country that has never been brought under the transforming power of the gospel, that you would like to live in right now with your family? I'm guessing not. The most prosperous and peaceful and humane societies on the earth are all those that were in their history and founding informed and reformed by the gospel, however they may have departed from it in the recent past. We are now, in the West, a cut flower culture. There is so much beauty and abundance still even though we have largely severed ourselves from our life-giving roots. But still, this principle remains. The Lord will bless his people. He will create a witness of contrast that will summon many out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The Lord's ways are right and lead to life. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you are interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. Of course, the easiest way to make use of all the material we have at Into the Word is by getting a hold of our app. You can find that at the Apple App Store or Google Play, and it very helpfully organizes all the materials that we've produced over the years. You can also connect with us on Facebook, and I hope that you do that. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements, conversation starters. I'd love to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. Into the Word.